Hello and welcome to Step Into The Past, the podcast where we take you back in time to follow in the footsteps of our ancestors, brought to you by Find My Past. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of historical lives and their connections to places right across the UK. And we speak to their living descendants to discover the impact of their legacy today. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, historian, author, and TV presenter. I've always been fascinated by stories of people from the past and how they experienced the world. I particularly enjoy uncovering the mysteries behind family history and how these can be pieced together using historical records and clues from the past, which we'll be doing plenty of throughout this series. In today's episode, we're visiting what was the childhood home of the romantic poet William Wordsworth. William was born in this Georgian townhouse in the Cumbrian town of Cockermouth. His family still have connections to this place to this day, so I'll be meeting one of his descendants and exploring a fascinating family story. The Wordsworth family tree is a sprawling one, full of extremes, from landowners and poets to brewery workers and household servants. But how did the family become so divided? Keep listening as we uncover how the Wordsworths became separated through disinheritance and the impact this had on family members down the generations. So to start, we are standing near the memorial statue of William Wordsworth, which is just across the road from the house in which he was born. And this is right at the centre of the town. And I'm delighted to be joined by William Wordsworth, four times great-granddaughter. Charlotte, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, it's lovely to be here. I'm delighted. Do you know much about the history of your family and about this house? I know a little bit, probably not as much as I should do. Um, I know that it was the family house um, of John Wordsworth and he, I think, was married uh, while he was living here or, or moved here just after he was married and had um, the children here with him and uh, I think, sadly, his wife died while he was living here and, um, and then I think all the children were sent away. I know that he was working for uh, the Lowther estate uh, when, I know he was a land agent for, for the Lowthers and had um, a lot of, uh, of people visiting him here, that, but all related to work. Uh, and I, I read somewhere that his children felt that he didn't have any real friends, that everybody that came to the house was here as part of his role as a, as a land agent. How interesting. Well, we'll pick that up in a bit. Tell me your impressions of the house as well. For those listening, maybe give some sense of, of what sort of place this is. It's very beautiful. It's a grand Georgian house. We think built around 1750. So it was obviously quite new when they moved in. Um, it's, I think it's gone back to the original colour, which is this, it, it's a really uh, subtle terracotta colour. And I think over the years it's been white, but they've discovered that um, there were traces of this colour. So, and it works well with the plaster and it, and it looks, uh, it catches the light beautifully. I think it, it's stunning. And I've had a little peep inside as well. And it's 
rather big. I mean, it's got nine sash windows across the top. So this is a substantial house. Now, we're going to be exploring more about that story that you've just touched on because the experts at Find My Past have been delving into your family story. And we're going to start by going back a little bit beyond the people we've mentioned. Okay, so we're going to start by going back to your six times great-grandparents, Richard and Mary Wordsworth. They were married in 1732, and Richard also served as a legal agent to the Earl of Lowther, and they had five children. So Richard is the eldest, then there's Anne, Mary, William, and John, who you've okay. already mentioned we know about. So the ones we want to keep our eyes on are Richard the eldest and John the youngest. Yeah. Here's the story. Both Richard and John became legal agents. Yeah. As their father ha had been. And Richard was born a year after his parents got married in 1733. And when he was 16 or 17 years old, he married a girl called Elizabeth Favell. And she was a few years older than him. And as a result of this, he was disinherited. Okay. Now, we don't know why, so it's mm -hmm. kind of speculative, mm -hmm. but there's some possible reasons. They were first cousins, uh, so maybe it's that, although that wasn't that unusual at the time. No, not, no. Um, we know that Elizabeth Favell came from a Church of England family, and many of the Wordsworth were dissenters, so it could be a religious question. Yet the thing that seems to me most probably the case is that she was considered unsuitable in some way because we have some evidence that he was supposed to marry a Miss Jackson who had a fortune. So mm -hmm. Miss Favell uh, clearly was a second choice and perhaps this is a love match. Yeah. How much older was she? She's three years older. Okay. So, so it's not, 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 not dramatically a, not a so. generation. No. <laughs> no. But it changes everything and actually one could argue that it changes your story because it made a difference to what happened to John. So John was the fifth child and he's the third son. So generally speaking, he wouldn't have inherited much. No. But when Richard was disinherited, it all passed to John. So instead it passes to this child who's eight years younger than Richard, born mm -hmm. in 1741. And as you already know, he became a legal agent to St. James Lowther and uh, the Lowthers were, well, Sir James particularly, I think, was was disliked, was thought to be quite high-handed. There were some horrible names they had for him. Did you know? What are they? Well, I can't remember, but I know there were some really <laughs> awful ones. <laughs> I've got some polite okay. awful names, like okay. the bad L and the gloomy yeah. L, but I imagine they called him slightly more yeah. interesting things behind his back. And it is working as an agent for him that John came to live here, as you've mm. already said. So mm. 1745, you were almost spot on. The house was built and he moved in 20 years later when he was just 24. So very young very to be young. taking on this huge property and that job. I mean, presumably that was a, a, a big, uh, important job for somebody of his age. It absolutely was. Time. And he made the most of it. So he was very ambitious, clearly. He had inherited lands and, and huge amounts of wealth, but he really expanded his portfolio. He came to have 20 parcels of property, 
Like just one of them was a sort of 70-acre farm and there were crofts and barns. And this house mm -hmm. was rent-free. This came as part of the job. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. Train no. in. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest properties in, in the, the town or would have been at that stage, I suppose. Absolutely. It's pretty grand, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he had all this wealth already and he was given this house and he was totally set up. He's totally for set up. life. And then with this an is... older brother living in poverty or? Well, we'll come back to Richard. But for, for now, let's just say John lives here and marries Anne very soon afterwards, a year later after moving in here. And then the couple go on to have five? several children, five, five children, children. And of mm. course, William Wordsworth, your four times great grandfather, mm. is one of those. And by all accounts, had idyllic childhood. Here, yeah. as one could imagine. Yeah, yeah. With the river down at the end of the garden. So, let's go on to the next location where we can talk about what happened to John and Anne. Okay, great. So we're just approaching All Saints Church, which played a significant part in the lives of your ancestors. Have you come here before? No, this is all new. I've never seen this. It's quite a large, grand church and a lot of people buried here. Yes, an amazing cemetery around it. And are we looking for somebody's grave in particular? Well, we are actually. Mm. Let's, go, let's go through. So, on this site, John and Anne were married in 1766. Lovely. And it's not all roses, however, oh. because just uh, 12 years later, Anne died. 1778 yes. of pneumonia. Mm. In that time, they'd had five children. And then five years after that, 1783, John dies and they leaves the five children in the care of relatives. And Anne is buried in Penrith, but here we have John, John Wordsworth's tombstone. How amazing. To the memory of Mr. John Wordsworth, who departed this life. The 30th of December. 1783. 1783. Aged 42 years. Oh, God, he's only 42. He was so young. Yeah, it's moving, isn't it? We know, we know that Anne died of pneumonia, and she was only 31. Absolutely tragic. And she, and she I, I do know that she picked the cold up visiting friends, and they think it was from staying in a damp room which is so awful to think that, you know, just that little twist of fate um, could have changed everything. I mean, it might, might, the children would have been living a completely different life and probably been totally different people. Yes. So, um, you know, the tragedy to lose their mother so young. I don't know how young the youngest was, probably a baby, a baby in arms. And then they were all sent off and 
I know that Dorothy was sent off to relatives in Halifax and that she didn't see her brothers for nine years or something that, I mean... It, it's, it's astonishing, isn't it? It's actually really cruel. Mm -hmm. So she was kept apart from them, you know, never sent for not even at Christmas, which was actually her birthday. I wonder if that was why they were so close later, Dorothy and William Wordsworth, and famously so, as brother and sister. I'm sure. I'm sure that sort of um, the trauma of losing their mother and then being split had a huge amount to do with their relationship later and, and also their poetry. Mm -hmm. And that they were probably together um, for you know, most of their life, getting over that tragedy. And it's certainly true that Cockermouth has a, a great impact on that poetry as well. If you look at William's poetry, he mentions Cockermouth in the title of poems. He was actually baptised in the church here in 1772. But with Dorothy. Yeah. And then um, torn apart when they were, what, sort of eight and seven? That's right. And if we skip ahead, we have him, well, being sent off to school and relatives and then going to Europe, like many young men did at the time. Mm. And you'll probably know uh, the story uh, of him falling in love with Annette, Annette Vallon. Vallon. Yes, I do know that well. And, um, and the, obviously there was a child of that. Caroline. Yeah, so um, who he, he, he had to leave France because of um, the revolution and, what, and it, you know, he, he was in danger. So he had to leave her, but he, he fully, I mean, what, what we now know is he fully intended to return and marry her. But because of what was happening with the wars, it could, it could never, and it couldn't, it couldn't happen for years and years. And in that time, you know, he, he was a, uh, a different man altogether and had then you know, was going to marry Mary. But we know that he made sure that uh, Caroline was looked after and he returned to tell Annette that he was going to marry Mary. Exactly, it's the most honourable response in the circumstances. Mm -hmm. It was, and I think Dorothy had a lot to do with that. I think she made sure that that happened and that and, and she was in contact with Annette and then Caroline. I, f I feel some ways that, you know, Dorothy didn't have her own children, but she was this incredible aunt and probably felt the same um, bonds with Caroline as she did with the other Wordsworth children. So William and Mary went on to marry and they had five children, though three of them predeceased their parents. Yeah. And I was really struck by one poem, it's called In the Sight of the Town of Cockermouth, which, in which he reflects on his parents' graves and those of his own children. Just the first few lines, he says, mm. a point of life between my parents' dust and yours, my buried ones, am I. And to those graves, looking habitually in kindred quiet, I repose my trust. Mm. Now, they, their son John and their grandson John went on to become rectors, and John, uh, married four times and had seven children. And his first wife, your three times great-grandmother, was Isabel Cohen. Yeah. And it's from her, I think, that you get your middle name? Yes, I have got Cohen in my name. And I think it was a little bit of a joke between my parents, actually, because 
think my father also managed to trace very, very far back some relationship with the Kerwin family. So that's why I've got it. <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? And yeah. I'm sure you know then that your great-grandfather, Christopher, mm. born in 1880, was also a clergyman and was the first to move your family to Suffolk um, and take up a position as the rector of Cottingham. And then, of course, he and his wife, Ella, had four children, Mary, Dorothy, Jonathan and Richard and Mary. For listeners, you know, already know Charlotte is your great-grandmother. Yes. And the... A couple of interesting characters in this family. I'm sure there are lots of interesting characters, but two we should mention are your great uncles, John, who gained the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Yes. In the Suffolk Regiment and was awarded an OBE. And Richard, who was a celebrated actor. Yes, and we actually always knew John as Gordon. So I. I he went I, by his second yes, name. Yes. And I, um, I was uh, able, I mean, I was uh, actually met Gordon um, and also knew, I mean, met Richard as well. Um, and um, and Dorothy as well. So I was very lucky to meet all of them. Unfortunately, my grandmother died first. So you know, the, the, but um, I spent many lovely holidays with my grandmother. So I, I knew her extremely well. Let's talk a bit about your grandparents, Mary and Alistair. Mm. Uh, so the records here in the newspapers tell us some tragic stories. Mm. Uh, well, one that in the end wasn't tragic, but Mary had a serious road accident. Yes. Uh, just at the time she was planning to marry Alistair Andrew, who was a schoolmaster, and she was left unconscious and hospitalised. And the marriage had to be put off about yep. a year. Mm -hmm. And then in 1947, just eight years into their marriage, Alistair was involved in a terrible yes. crash. Fatal crash. A fatal crash. Just 39. We actually have some newspaper articles here that talk about the accident. So this is the accident um, in which Miss Wordsworth, as she's referred to, had serious head injuries and was taken to Bishop Stortford's hospital. So she was removed in an unconscious condition. This was also a head-on collision. Wow. So you I can imagine actually f when she then, when her husband then died in a head-on collision, just how traumatic yeah. it must have been for her. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were no seat belts and she, I don't, I can't remember how old she was, but she was probably about 18 or 19. And I know she broke her jaw and had to have some sort of reconstruction. But you, you could never tell. I mean, it was, she used to say, oh, it's not as it should be. She was very matter-of-fact about it always, and, um, but didn't, never dwelled on it. My grandmother had a similar jaw injury and was also very matter-of-fact about it. It was that <laughs> generation, wasn't it? Yeah, no fuss. And this is the newspaper article about your grandfather, mm. Alistair. Hugh Andrew, 39-year-old headmaster of Felsford School, one of the oldest public schools in the country. Mm -hmm. Who died, it says, in Chelmsford Hospital on Saturday night following a head-on collision between a car in which he was travelling and a bus at Broomfield. Yeah, I, I was always told it was a bus and they hadn't dipped the headlights and that's why, because it was snow and it was a little lane, the whole, um, everything was, was lit up and they couldn't see at all. And he wasn't the only one. Two other passengers who go unnamed yes. died within a few hours of the crash. So that was um, one of his 
best friends and um, I think my grandmother thought that he was going to make it actually. You know, he, he, was, he was alive for uh, several hours afterwards and I think, I don't think she realised how badly hurt he was because I think it was internal bleeding. Um, but she couldn't ever talk about it. So we'll never really know. The other thing about that generation was that they were very good at bottling things up. Absolutely. And actually, you know, in some ways that was the best policy when you've got two small children. You've just got to, you know, get on with your life and, and um, work out how to keep everything going, which is what she did, probably along with many women of her generation without, you know, but it's only later on when you really think about what happened and how hard it must have been. You know, you think, gosh, that was an incredible thing to do. Yes, you don't sort of notice it when you're a child yourself, but once you've done your 30s or whatever, maybe yeah. with small children, you think, oh, goodness, how did she do it? I know. It's such a small article, but how much that affects a whole family on generations afterwards. Does that one accident... I always find when we're thinking about the people in the past that they had to suffer on so much bitterness. You know, we obviously have circumstances like this happening today, but it feels that repeatedly in past generations they were seeing their children die young and they mm. were losing their spouses mm. at an early age. It was sort of more a repetitive story of sorrow. And it's hard oh. when we hear these things. I mean, you know, her generation were only just getting over the Second World War. So obviously so many people had lost their you know, their, their husbands and wives and children. And, you know, I, I, I suppose, it, you know, in many ways they were, they were almost in that sort of zone of just coping and realising that, you know, it was happening to many, many families. And I suppose, I suppose one of the ways that they coped was through new life, mm. baby boomers. Yeah. Um, Find My Past have discovered an astonishing 249 family trees connected to your grandmother, Mary. Wow. <laughs> really? 249 family trees. Now, I don't know how many, if it's hundreds, it could be thousands of individuals that are represented on there, but it turns out that you might have a lot of living Wordsworth relatives. I'm amazed it's that many. I know, I know. Because you don't actually meet that many people called Wordsworth, but there must be a lot of, of um, you know, marriages, so they're all, you know, they maybe have Wordsworth as their middle name. Or they're Wordsworth yeah. and at it's birth, been lost, that's their maiden name, yeah. and it gets yeah. lost because yeah. they marry into different yeah. names. How extraordinary it would be if we just kept our maiden names. <laughs> it would certainly help, wouldn't it? It would help a lot. So you might have hundreds of relatives here in the Cumberland region? I'm, I, I thought there'd be a few, but there might be a lot more than I imagined. Before we leave, let's pop inside the church because there's something you should see. Okay. So here in the East End is a stained glass memorial to William Wordsworth. Oh, how beautiful. Incredible. I had no idea. So this church was built in the 1840s. 
and he was Poet Laureate at the time from 1843. And so this beautiful stained glass window, which shows Christ in majesty, and then you've got saints and Bible mm. figures and everything you would expect yes, in a stained glass window. you've got all the colours as well. It's dedicated to him. It was paid for by public subscription. Okay. Which shows yeah. great community spirit, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very dramatic, isn't it? It's a beautiful work of art. I'm sure we would have loved that. Absolutely. We're just heading down now to Jennings Brewery, which is in Brewery Lane. And it is next to Waterloo Street, wow. which is another key location okay. for your family. And we're going to go back to looking at those Wordsworth brothers, Richard and John. Yes. And what happened to the other side of the family? Okay, all right, I'm ready for it. You know, this, uh, this brewery only closed a oh, year ago. Isn't that fantastic? Look at that. Sorry. Wow. Did you ever get to try the family brew? No. <laughs> no, I had no idea about the family brew. I don't know enough about breweries to say exactly what this is, but we've got a tall brick tower and we've just passed under the entrance sign saying Jennings Brothers Castle Brewery. And we've got a number of buildings here, and it does look like we've arrived in the 19th century. It does, doesn't it? It's, it's got quite a feel of going back in time. Well, you still can get hold of the beer, actually. It's been taken over by Marston's. So if you look out for okay. Cumberland Ale. But, but it was called Jennings, was it? It was called Jennings. Yeah. So we've looked at John's line, your line, and we've got interesting and impressive people. But now we need to go back to Richard, that elder brother mm. who chose Elizabeth Favell as his wife and was disinherited. So his line wasn't so fortunate. About 60 years after Richard was disinherited, we get to Isaac Wordsworth. He was born in 1812 and he became a coach driver in Cockermouth. He was married to Jane and on the birth record of their son, Robert, in 1842, Jane made a mark of her fingerprint instead of signing her name. So we know oh. that she wasn't literate. Okay. And Isaac is? Isaac is Richard's great-grandson. Their son, Isaac and Jane's son, Robert, married Betsy. Mm -hmm. And he followed in his father's footsteps by becoming a carter or a drayman working for this brewery. Okay. Uh, and a, a drayman was the driver yeah. of a dray, so that's a yeah. low flatbed wagon yeah. drawn by horses and mules, so taking the beer, the ale, to the outlets. And although we look like we're in the 19th century, if we were, we would have to add a lot more noise because mm -hmm. this is the Industrial Revolution, mm -hmm. and so it would have been very loud and busy and Much smelly. Dirty, dirtier and, yeah. And so that was Robert's life. And by the 1891 census, we've got Robert and Betsy having a very large household. They've got seven children. They've got a grandchild living with them mm -hmm. by that point. Mm -hmm. And they're at number 13 Waterloo Street, which is just around the corner. Should we go and have a look? I'd love to, yeah. 
we just come out of what seemed quite industrial, and now we're in an, another idyllic scene with the river running past us. And this is the river that goes past the back of uh, Wordsworth House. And the just river the that, um, obviously, you know, William and, and Dorothy would play on the terrace at the back of Wordsworth House um, in this beautiful river, which... Uh, oh, did you see a fish jump? Was that a fish? <laughs> um, yeah, this is the sound of the poetry here. Well, it's a lovely way of putting it. He was so influenced by this sound. And um, I think they, they feel that so much of his lines of poetry just hark back to this river and what he remembers from his childhood, which is probably the, the happiest time before his mother died. So he was always going back to this very beautiful, calm sound. There's a boy just down on the bank from us. He might be maybe nine, a little bit older than Wordsworth was when he left here, but playing by the banks of the same river. He's doing exactly the same thing as those children would have done. Just go right to the edge and see how near you can get before you fall in. Well, I must take you away from this tranquil site just to go across here. So we're looking for number 13. We are now 28, so other side. 17. Yeah. <laughs> Jump to nine. So we have an absence of 13. We have a space where 13 <laughs> might have been. We have a number nine and a number 17. <laughs> so I think we can imagine three houses between here, which yeah. actually in itself is quite staggering because, as I said, there were 10 people living mm. in their house. Mm. So... Tough times. Tough times. One of their children was called Isaac, and he was born in 1882, and I want to tell you a bit more about him. Mm. Let's go and sit where William Wordsworth used to sit, shall we? I'd love to do that. So we're back at Wordsworth House, but we're actually going to go straight through and yes. head down to the gardens. Oh, wonderful. OK, let's go. Look at those apple trees, absolutely yes. bursting with fruit. Look, it's got the most beautiful flowers and fruit and every imaginable tree here. We're going this way, around the yes, corner. Yes, around the corner, through the walled garden. Yeah, into the small walled garden. And there's the river. It's fast flowing, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a major river. And I think these are the, the rocks down here where um, the sound of it, you know, the, it, it slowed down a bit. So they would have, you can just see them over the top of the grass where they would have spent a lot of time mucking about in the water and playing. Now, I said I was going to tell you about Isaac. So let's trace this down again. We've got 
one Isaac Wordsworth, who was Richard's great-grandson. His son was Robert, who married Betsy. And one of their children, Isaac, was born in 1882. He became a tailor and he married Hannah Williamson. And Hannah was the daughter of a coal miner. And the whole coal miner had died at 40 years old and her mother remarried. This is just an interesting tidbit. Mm -hmm. None other than James Wordsworth, oh. which meant that James was both Hannah's brother-in-law and her stepfather. I, I'm trying to think how that works. So brother-in-law and stepfather. Yes, okay. I had to think on it yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. So, okay. Yes, her mother married her husband's brother. Yes, got it. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now, given that we're back at Wordsworth House, this is a fitting place to be, actually, because this is where the two families interlink again. Mm -hmm. And the researchers at Find My Past had a bit of a surprise yeah. when they looked at the 1921 census for the house because nearly 150 years after William was born here, they found three Wordsworth living here. Oh. And they are I Isaac's? Isaac's wife, Hannah, and her children. But they weren't tenants mm. like your ancestors. Mm -hmm. Hannah was working here as a servant to the Graham family. Mm. The Graham family were local, James Graham was a yeah, local doctor yeah. and they owned it and Hannah Wordsworth was a servant here. Mm, mm. She was here with her four-month-old child, William. Another William. Another William. Yeah. And her girl, Gladys, who was six. And Isaac, her husband, was living at 13 Waterloo Street. Yes. The and Invisible she was, House. She was working here. She was working here and he had the couple's two other children with the two older boys, Gilbert, who was nine, and Isaac Jr., who was mm. five. And he was out of work. Isaac mm. was out of work mm. by this point in time because this is after the First World War and this is the re recession of the early 20s um, and the, the adjustment of the economy back from war to peacetime. And so a lot of people Lots of men were out of work at this time. Mm. So mm. Hannah was working here and making money for the family. Mm. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it, that nearly 300 years after the family split between your direct ancestor, John, and Richard, Richard's line are here as servants. As servants. Because of his disinheritance. Because he was disinherited. And we don't really know other than the possibility of him marrying the wrong woman. That's why he was unable to inherit or, or take on any of this as a, as a possible job and a livelihood. And therefore, it all went to his younger brother. Exactly so. And actually, the story turns very sad at this point in time. In this last Isaac, mm. in 1939, was working as a scavenger, which means he's a dustman, a yeah. street cleaner for the local authority. And Hannah, the last record we have of her, yeah. is that she's a patient at Garland's Mental Hospital. Oh, no. In Border and Cumberland. And what, what date was that? So that was in 1939, and she died there 14 years later, when she was 66. That's so sad. Um, and uh, Isaac Wordsworth passed away a year later, at the age of 71. It's absolutely true, as you say, that it goes mm. back to Richard's mm. being disinherited. And... I wonder how it feels for you because 
your descent down that line mm. from John probably has created the circumstances of your life. Yes, I, I mean, you know, now seeing the house and the river and everything, how much that would have affected William and um, how much he would have taken from this place for the rest of his life, you know, how he interpreted this, this beautiful sort of childhood and what that meant to him and probably Dorothy um, and also his younger brother, John. But I think, you know, the thought of there being another whole family that could have enjoyed this, whether or not they would have had the job or that whether they would have been taken on by Lowther to, to take over as land agent, that would have probably been what Richard would have been given. That's right, so um, Richard might have been here and William might never have been here. Yeah. It might have been that family line yeah. that was working as dustmen. It'd be so interesting to know if it was really just the, the unfortunate marriage or if there was something else. Yes. And I wonder what the relationship was between um, John and his older brother Richard, if John helped him in any way. If, and I, I think that Richard might have been involved in some, in some way after John died with the children. I hope so, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I think, I think there might have been, you know, some involvement. Well, that brings us to the end of our walk around this town and this incredible story of your family, this pivotal moment in mm. the 18th century. And we are at the banks of this beautiful river where the waters are rushing past, much mm. like time has, mm -hmm. in the history of your family. How has it felt to, to hear all of this today? Well, it's, in, it, it's incredible to uh, have another entire sort of angle on the family and seeing how they lived. I mean, when William was growing up, just the grandeur and, you know, just you could imagine it of being a very happy childhood and I mean, a very beautiful place to be and then at the same time it's quite sad because you think it then all changed so quickly and of course that's what happens you know one minute it's the perfect life and then the next minute you're in you'll find yourself in completely different circumstances but what stays the same is that water thank you for being such a oh, wonderful guest thank you very much for having me it's been an incredible experience. I won't forget it. Well, that's it for this episode of Step Into the Past. My thanks to Charlotte Wantner for being such a fantastic guest. Wordsworth House and Gardens are cared for by the National Trust and truly are worth a visit if you get a chance. You can find all the information about this episode on the Find My Past website, www.findmypast.co.uk and get started on your own family tree for free. Where will your past take you? I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to hit follow in your favourite podcast app so you'll be notified whenever a new episode is released. I'll see you next time.